We're in Luke chapter 22. We're going to pick up our study again and finish out this book of Luke. We actually started it uh, and uh, kind of had several different interruptions throughout the year, but we started it last year and we're going to go and finish it. And it's kind of, I think, a very fitting time. Talking about committed love in February. No one loves like God loves. And he demonstrated his love whenever he sent his son, him, in, in bodily form to live and to be cruelly killed, to be buried, to rise again so we could have eternal life. I love uh, thinking about Jesus. I've been enjoyed thinking about him and talking to him this week. And I hope you'll do the same thing. Uh, you know, don't, don't just get spiritual at church. Uh, be, be spiritual all week long. That's your waking thoughts when you're driving your car, whenever you're, you're on your way to class or you're on the way to work. Boy, think about the person of Jesus. Uh, he is worthy of our praise and adoration. Luke chapter 22 is one of the larger chapters of our Bible. It's not the largest. Psalm 119 is. And there, and there are a couple others that are, that are pretty close to this one. This one's 71 verses. Uh, I think Psalm 78 has 73 verses. And there may be some others who have longer chapters. It's a long chapter. It opens up just a few days before the Last Supper that Jesus will have to his disciples and just a few hours before he will be betrayed and crucified. And it closes right there as he is taken to uh, Pilate. And uh, he, is, he has gone through a very brutal night of being beaten. They blindfolded him and just punched him re repeatedly in the face and said, if you're God, prophesy who hit you this time. If you could imagine after being punched numerous times, his face is swollen, his eyes are swollen, his nose is bleeding, his lips are broken. And the, the, the mockery and all the things that took place on that brutal night before they hung him on the cross. What love is this? That he, the innocent, would die for us, the guilty. And how much he deserves our attention, our love, and our care. That he would do all of this. And God gives us a snapshot into his time in Gethsemane. He gives us a, a snapshot into his grace, his love for his disciples. So we're just going to take a little bit of a moment today, and I don't really have a strong outline for you, but we're just going to walk through part of this chapter. We won't get through all of it. And all God's people said, amen. I'm glad you're going to do 71-verse Bible study, Pastor. That's too long. And uh, you heard about a guy who said, i got so much to say, I don't know where to start. And the little kid said, start somewhere toward the end. <laughs> and some of you might say, I'm with that little kid. Start somewhere toward the end. Our time is going by quickly. Let's look, if we can, please, at verse number 1. Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh. So it was not there yet. We weren't the day before the crucifixion yet, but it was coming close, which is called the what? Passover. This will be the last Passover that will take place legitimately. Now, Jewish people today still do the Passover, but it's not needed. Uh, matter of fact, he says, we're not going to do this again until we do this in my kingdom. But this is just a, this is a day or two. It should come close to the day before the Passover would begin on, a, on the crucifixion night. And they had to pull Jesus off the cross, remember, because the Passover was right there and they had to get him off. So this was the day before or close to that time of the Passover. And the Passover, of course, was when uh, it, was, it was really began on the 14th day of the month of Nisan and went, it was a seven-day event, it concluded on the 21st. And uh, it was important, it was important time for the Jewish people especially. And, but Jesus, 
And every Passover, just so you remind us, this is coming out of Egypt, they had to kill a lamb. A lamb had to be killed. And they would kill the lamb, and then they would spread him out, and they would put a long stick between him that way, and another stick between him this way, so his legs would be out. And then they would roast him, like they did in Egypt many years before. And of course, you can see Jesus was put on a cross. And Jesus is our Passover. That lamb couldn't, couldn't forgive sins. It was not uncommon, they tell us, that in the time of Jesus' time, it would be not uncommon for them to kill 300,000 sheep during that season of the Passover. I can't even imagine that. You heard the shepherds that watched their flocks by night. They were raising sheep to be taken. So many more than maybe would happen today, but, but it would not be uncommon for that seven-day period of time, 300,000 sheep just in the, in, the, in the area of Israel alone, not to mention the worldwide, wherever Jews were. It was a Passover time, and it was coming close. And the Bible tells us, verse number two, that the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. They thought they were trying to think, how can we take him out without doing it publicly, because he has so many people that he's healed and helped, and the people believed and followed him. So they're trying to find a way there. This is the religious leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, 70 members. They had to have 23 to have a forum, but 70 members, and they were the high priest, which just had the highest position, all the way down to the youngest one uh, in that group. The youngest people would get a chance to cast their opinions first, and they would be sitting around with the scribes and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were appointed by Herod usually. So they worked with the government officials, and they were just as crooked as the Roman government. But now Jesus had flown, uh, he had preached, and he was pure. Nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong, but everything he did was in the face of their traditions and their mentality and their works. And it was firing them up. And they knew from the very beginning they needed to get it to, to execute him, but how they didn't know. But then we find how the Lord uh, tells us how what happened. And Satan was behind it. Look, if you would please, in verse number three. Then entered Satan into Judas. Judas is one of the 12 disciples. The Iscariot being one of the number of the 12. And he went his way, and once again, this is not the night of the Passover, but sometime previous when it was close, he went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were what? Isn't that a sad comment? And they were glad. And they covenanted or agreed to him to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So in the middle of this, one of the, this was Judas' time. He had heard, so I think many of the disciples were following Jesus with the understanding that he was going to remove them from the Roman government like right away. But Jesus was talking about something future tense. He kept talking about dying. They said, what are you talking about dying? You need to be our leader. We're going to get out of this Roman rule and we'll stop having to pay these publicans taxes and we won't have to be a subject to the Roman government. We want you to, and he goes, no, 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 this is not the time. And they still had it in their head. And I think Judas realized, you know, this is, my dreams are not going to be fulfilled in Jesus. So he covenanted with the rulers there that were trying to kill him and find a way. And he arranged a covenant or an agreement 
that for such amount of money, he would betray them, and he would decide when would be the best time to do that, when he wasn't with the group of people. Jesus, obviously, Judas had been with Jesus three and a half years by now. He knew, his, he knew his mode of operation. He knew his routines. He knew he had been to three other Passovers with Jesus when he was in Jerusalem. He knew what his nights would be like. He knew what he would do as he really worshipped the Heavenly Father and led them to worship. He knew where he would go. It would be at the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And so he thought to himself, this is where I can, I can make the rendezvous and where the, they can come and take him. And I can take the money, the 30 pieces of silver that they have chosen to give to me for this betrayal. Verse number seven. Then came the day of the unleavened bread. Now we're on that day. When the Passover must be killed, that's the lamb. And he sent Peter and John and said, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, probably going through the water gate, there shall be a man meet you, bearing the pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. It was normal that the ladies would have the water. Would be, they would know it would, be a, it would be unusual because a man normally did not have water in it. They usually, it was a lady's job to care for the water. Rebecca would go to the water. So they would know him be different because he wasn't, what, who normally held a pitcher of water. It would be a man. So you'll know it's a man, and he'll have a pitcher of water. When you find him, talk to him. Here's what the Bible tells us. 11, and he said unto them, and he shall say unto, unto the good man of the house, the master saith unto thee, where is the, the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show unto you a large upper room and furnished, and there make ready. And they went and found that he said unto them, and they made ready for the Passover. And when the hour, I just think you might want to underline hour. You'll see it several times in this chapter. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer? And I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean he would not eat with them. He would eat after his resurrection. So in his, in his glorified body, he will be. And some of you are saying, hallelujah. So we get to eat in heaven? Yes. Uh, yes, you will. And, and all of you are so happy about that, I can tell. Some of you say, Pastor, please don't talk about food on Sunday afternoon at this time. It takes my mind off, my, off the topic here. But nonetheless, he said, I'm not going to, he'll eat with them again. Remember, he made fish and bread for them to eat on the shores of, 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 of Galilee there. He certainly would eat in his resurrected body. But he said, I'm not going to eat the Passover until I do it in my kingdom. And that has not happened yet. So that's going to be the next time the Passover will be observed in a spiritual sense and with our Lord Jesus in person. Now the verse number 17. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and said... Take this and divide it among yourselves. And I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So just real quickly, let's back up for a tad bit. So we find that this opens up with uh, an understanding that we're getting close to the Passover. Jesus now, as any three times a year, he would leave wherever he was in Galilee and come down to Jerusalem. If you study the Gospels, you'll see that he's going back and forth. 
the 70, 80, 90 miles from Nazareth and from Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, back and forth. Every, every year he would come down three times and he would bring his disciples with him. This time, it was the Passover. They were close to that area. That was when Judas, who was from Judea, he arranged to, to, to betray Jesus. And now the hour has come, and he says to Peter and John, go into the city. And he's probably at Bethany with, uh, with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So you guys go into the city and go in, most likely at the water gate, and when you come, you'll see a man holding a water pitcher. And when you see him, that's your sign. Go ask him, is the room ready? Is the good man ready? And he said, he'll say to you, yes, come see it. He'll take you to the upper room that he had already prearranged, and he will show you where it is, and then you'll need to go get the lamb. You'll need to prepare the elements, and everything will be there. The couches will be there. The table will be there. The room will be set aside, and it wasn't probably a small feat because thousands and thousands of Jewish men from all over the world had descended upon Jerusalem for the Passover week especially. So probably finding a room would not be anything. Many folks taking advantage of the opportunity would take their own houses and turn them into guest chambers for people who are traveling around and rent them out or use them for that. This man would make it available to Jesus. He said, you will prepare for that. Then he came to that hour came, and now there it is, the night before his crucifixion. And there we find that Jesus gets his disciples together, and he said, I've desired greatly to share this last Passover with you. And we'll not do it again until we do it in my kingdom later on. Several things I, I think that we can see about the love of Christ. First of all, he knows what time it is. You're going to find that time is going to keep on popping up all through the Bible, but especially in chapter 22. Even when they come to arrest Jesus and they take him by force and he says to them, this is your hour. This is not my time. This is your hour. This is your time to do what you want to do. He calls when the hour was come. I'm so glad that we have a God who knows what time it is. He knows what time it is in your life and in my life. He knows what time it is in the world. He knows when he's sending his son back from heaven. Not even Jesus knows that, I don't think. But he knows what time it is. He understands the timing in your life. If you're single, if you're single again, if you're married, if you're aging, if the doctor said you've got problems, whatever the situation, God knows what time it is. It, it blesses me when I read the book of Galatians when it said, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman. You know what you need to do about your time? You need to be content with the pace that God has you on and the place that God has you at. Amen. Trusting the Lord. So many people are like little four-year-olds screaming and hollering, frustrated because their mom and their dad don't do things on their terms. Listen, God loves you and he has timing. And his timing is perfect. The way of the Lord, it's perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. The Bible psalmist says, my times are in his hands. He knows what's going on. Don't kick and scream and don't fight. Your arms are too short to box with God anyway. Let God make his rules. Let him decide what's going on. And I love this because we can see the authority of Jesus' exercise and, and, and deciding what time it is and what needs to happen then. We see the Lord 
is very patient, but he is, at, at, he is an adversarial work with Satan. Satan influenced Judas. You know, I, I oftentimes uh, grieve to think about this. Judas did everything that every one of the other 12 did, the other 11 did. He was there to give people the lunch, the bread, the fishes. He was there when the widow from Nain, her, her child, came back to life. He was there to watch blind people get their sight back and deaf to hear and crippled to walk. He saw everything. He heard every message that everyone else heard. And yet in his heart, he was not genuine. He did not accept the Savior. And at the end, he kept hardening his heart, hardening his heart, hardening his heart. And now Satan takes advantage of a hard heart. He, he comes and influences him to leave and to find someone that would give him a little bit of money and eventually have him take his life. Suicide. You know, Satan loves suicide. There's nothing more selfish that you could do than to take your own life. And when that thought comes to your head, you need to remember that didn't come from God. God is the author of life. He decided when you were born, and he's the one who's supposed to decide how you leave this world. You're going to leave somehow. You don't have to leave. You should not ever leave that way. It's never the easy way out. And when that comes to your mind, and it has come, to most every human being's mind from time to time, that'll come. That is not the Lord speaking to you. That is satanically induced to cripple and to hurt others around you. It doesn't make things better for you. It causes you to end your life in murder, taking the life of someone you had no right to do. But Satan influenced him and eventually would kill him. He would kill himself, hang himself. Go into eternity, probably without God forever and ever. Tragic. But you know, God washed his feet. The Lord Jesus washed his feet between his, his toes, washed and wiped them, knowing that he was, gonna, he was the one who was going to take his life. You see the patience of God, even with the perverse, even with those who are against him, even those who are fakes and hypocrites. He loves them. He was gracious to them. He allowed Judas to come and give him a salute, a handshake in our culture, a kiss on each side of his face to betray him. He even asked him, Judas, we're going to go down this way? <laughs> You're going to betray me with a kiss? It's an interesting thing. But I want you to notice, lastly, the providential care and preparation of God. There are so many things that have happened in your life that you and I ought to have great reason to praise God for. He says, Peter and John, I want you to go into the city and there'll be a man there with a pitcher. At the time, Jesus is probably no less than two miles away. And he tells them to go in there and to go get a room that's already been negotiated, already been prepared specifically for him and tell them what to do. You know, I, I just want to tell you that your times are in God's hand. Whatever you're going through, you can know that God is always previous. He's providential. And you can trust him. He's already prepared. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. God's already there. Be careful for nothing. But everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. 
Let your requests, your prayers is a good time to pray when you're not sure what's going on, when you have more questions than answers. That's a good time to pray. Because then he can replace your prayers with his peace. He can replace your prayers with his peace. He had something already prepared for, 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 for Peter, for John, for all the disciples, and even for Judas. Judas would eat what Jesus had prepared that day. He would drink that unfermented juice. He would take that unleavened bread. He would take the meat off of the Passover lamb and, and, and eat that himself. Not knowing and, 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 and knowing he was getting ready to betray the true Passover. But you see the love of God in his timing, in his patience. Maybe some of you, you say, Pastor, I'm a Judas. Everybody thinks I'm saved. I've done all the things everybody else has done. You know and God knows you're not saved. You're not saved. You're not, you're not forgiven. You haven't come to God on his terms. Listen, there's not a thing in the world worth going to hell over. And the world's greatest mistake would be to go to hell over a mistake. Because a hundred years from this very moment, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where we live. In heaven with God or in hell without Him. And there's only one way to go to heaven with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is our Passover, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7. The Bible says Jesus is our Passover. He is the one. He's the only way we can have eternal life, and it's through Jesus. And dear friend, if you have Jesus... You have everything you need in good times and in bad times. And some of you, I look into your faces and I know it's not easy being you today. Some challenging things going on. You need Jesus. And if you'll get, if you'll get close to Jesus, you're going to find that you'll have all that you need through your challenging times. The times, the pace, the place to have, that God has you, if you have him, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. At the same time, he's a choice. We find that Judas made the wrong choice. Don't you make the wrong choice. Make sure you love him. We'll find out as later as we talk about the book of, of Luke, chapter 22, we'll find out more things that, that took place with, between Peter and Jesus that are very important for you and I to learn and to grow and to be committed to the love that God has for us.